Um, This morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 10 as we continue our way through the gospel of Mark. We're going to be starting in verse 17. Last week we saw Jesus uh, teaching um, about as the young children came to him and how we are called to receive Jesus, receive his kingdom the same way a young child receives, as Pastor Peter talked about last week, a, a gift. Um, Now this week we're going to read a very different story, but I hope, even though it's very different, it may seem very different on the surface, we'll see that the point of Jesus is the same. So let's read that passage now in Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man came up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all of these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have a treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Of God, and they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and he said, With man it is impossible, but with God, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, See, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Let's pray. Oh, Father, uh, we need you to be present with us this morning. Um, We can say lots of words and they can have absolutely no impact on us. So we need you at work this morning through the power and work of Holy Spirit. Would you apply your words to our hearts this day? Would you help us to hear the call this morning of our Savior? We pray this in his incredible and matchless name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I think I may have shared this with you before, but I'm going to do it again anyway. Uh, my, my family, um, well, a few years ago, we, we were traveling on Christmas Day, as, as we often do, and, and so we were at a hotel for the night, and so we have to find a place to eat, and we end up at Denny's um, for Christmas dinner, you know, so we're that really sad-looking family at Denny's on Christmas. We weren't sad, you know, but it just seems that way. You know, no, we weren't sad. We were having a great time. Um, but then when the dinner came to an end, and it was time for us to get our check, the waitress came over, and she said, another family who've already left, they paid for your Christmas dinner. And, you know, immediately there was a flood of like, oh, that's great. You know, you, you, you receive this wonderful gift and this wonderful thing and you're so encouraged. And then you take, or at least I, 
take this beautiful thing, this beautiful gift that these folks gave to me, gave to us, and what do I do? I start thinking, like, now, now am I obligated to pay it forward? Am I obligated now? Do I need to buy another family's meal? You know, do, do you know what I'm talking about? Do you ever experience that kind of, of thing? It's, it's hard sometimes to receive gifts, and we, we heard about that last week, right? And, and how kids, young kids especially, are able to receive gifts much more easily than we are. And, and Jesus, last week, he encourages us to humbly receive the kingdom as a gift that comes from him, um, not something of our own doing. And, and then we just read this passage that immediately follows it. And as you were reading, as I was reading, you, you may have been thinking, well, does this match what Jesus said in our passage last week? That, that the kingdom comes as a, as a gift because Jesus brings some incredibly powerful, strong words to this rich young man, right? And it begins to think, well, is there things then that we must do? To enter into the kingdom? Is, is that what Jesus is saying? And I don't think Jesus has changed his mind at all. I don't think he's changed his position. And my hope is, is that as we look at the text this morning, we'll, we'll see that this story is actually kind of an application of the passage we heard last week about um, children coming to, to Jesus. First, we must see this man and see... Um, what it is that keeps this man from being able to receive the kingdom. And we see right off there's two things. It's his righteousness and his riches. So let's look at those real quick. Verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now this, this man, he, he comes humbly. He, he, he comes with a wonderful approach. He, he bows down before Jesus. He, he shows a sign of respect. He seems to be sincerely concerned that maybe he doesn't, hasn't done everything that he needs to do, that there's something else that he needs to know. And he asks that question, what must I do? And right there we see a major problem, don't we? And, and also, if you just think about the question, what must I do to do what? To inherit eternal life. Now, those things, doing and inheriting, usually don't go together, right? One usually doesn't inherit by doing. One inherits because of who they are. And right there, we begin to see the rich young man, as he's coming to Jesus, he, he's, he's missing something. He's confused. And so Jesus gives him a question to ponder, right? Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone, Jesus says. Now, what is Jesus' point here? Jesus isn't saying that he's not God, okay? And he's not saying he's good. In fact, I could almost think that he's saying this with a little bit of a twinkle in his eye of, like, if you only knew what you're saying when you call me good, if you only knew who it was that's standing in front of you. But at the same time, I think Jesus is trying to reveal this man's misunderstanding of what good really means. He kind of seems to think that there's like levels of good and, well, you're pretty good and, and I'm pretty good and, you know, like there, there are layers to it. And what Jesus comes in, in Jesus' response, what does he say? There's no one good except for God. You see, there's no layers to it. You're, you're either good or you're not. And there's only one who is good, and that is God. And the man, it's already showing that he, he doesn't get it. He thinks that he can inherit by doing, by being good. And so Jesus, to continue to make his point, he starts listing out some of the things from the law. And he says, well, um, okay, you, you, you want to know what you must do? I'll tell you what you must do. Do not murder. 
Do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Now, of course, if the man had heard Jesus' teaching elsewhere, like in the Sermon on the Mount, he would have known there's no way you could say, yeah, I do those things, because what does Jesus say? If, if you have hate in your heart, if, if you're angry at another person, you've done what? You've committed murder. If you even have lust in your heart, you've, you've committed adultery. Jesus has, has shown elsewhere just how, how much the heart. It's, it's not about superficially keeping these commandments, right? It's about the heart and the heart attitudes behind them and and. But this guy clearly doesn't understand that because how does he respond? Jesus confronts him with the law and what does he say? Teacher, all of these I've kept from my youth. You see, as, Jesus, he, as, as this young man hears Jesus, he almost says, whew, I'm good. I haven't murdered. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't stolen. I, I, I'm good. And you and I, we might hear that and we might say, really? Do you really think that? And here's where we need to understand in, in this man's day, they had made the law doable. Okay, He really believed, he genuinely believed that since the age of about 12, when he would have taken on the, the yoke of the law, okay, and the, the law would have been upon him, maybe around the age of 12 they would have thought, that since then he had kept all the commandments. All of these he'd kept. And before you hear that, you think that's so crazy. Remember, the Apostle Paul says the same thing about himself. Do you remember? But before he came to Christ, what does he say about himself in Philippians 3? In verse 6, as to righteousness under the law, what? Blameless. Paul says, but before I came to believe her, I thought I was blameless. I thought I was good. And this rich young man, he, he, he comes to Jesus and he thinks, I'm good. I'm at least not that bad. And do you ever struggle with this? Do you ever think at times in your life, well, I'm pretty good. At least I'm not that bad. At least I'm, well, I'm doing pretty good. I haven't broken any of those big commandments, really. And it's there that we fail to understand, as Jesus is trying to get this guy to understand, what good really means. Okay, there's no layers to it. You're either good, all good. There's no, like, partial good. Okay, it's all the way or nothing. And we fail to understand what it really means, as Paul says in Romans, there are what? None who are righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. This rich young man, he, he doesn't understand that. He, he doesn't get this. And sometimes we struggle to get this, right? Just as he does, we, we fail to get it. And, and we fail to understand that because we're not good, we need goodness to come, come from outside of us and come in. We need God to make us good because we can't make ourselves good. He needs to lavish a gift on him. We read in Romans 5.17, For if because of one man's trespasses and death, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and what? The free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus. Where does this goodness come from? It comes from outside you and it comes inside. You see, goodness and, and righteousness are, it's not us being made acceptable before God because we're good enough, okay? Um, it doesn't come uh, by us, it comes by the one man Jesus. The one man Jesus who was really good, who really was good, who really kept the law, and, and therefore, we are able to receive 
what? The abundance of what he has done. We're able to receive the inheritance that the rich young man talks about. We're able to receive eternal life, not because of what we do, not because of what this rich young man did, but because of what Jesus does for us. Now, Jesus sees this man, and he's coming before him, and he is coming humbly, right? But he completely misunderstands. What is it that he doesn't see? He doesn't see the sin that is lurking within him. The rich young man, he, he can't see it. He, he, he's blinded to it. And, and as Jesus looks at him, what does it say? And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Those are incredible words, aren't they? It's the approach that we see of Jesus throughout the gospel as he approaches broken sinners. He has extreme compassion, extreme love for them. And that's not just good news for this rich young man. It's good news for us, isn't it? Okay, that he doesn't just abandon us. He doesn't just abandon the rich young man. He doesn't just get angry with him. How could you ever say that? You see, this rich young man, he doesn't get it, and Jesus wants him to get it. He, he loves him, and he, he wants him to see that the problem is really a problem of his heart, that his heart is broken, the, that the problem is the object of his worship. You see, Jesus had laid out the the, the second table, if you will, of the Ten Commandments, the how you love your neighbor, that's what Jesus had spread before him, right? And so now Jesus is going to take him to that first table, if you will. He's going to take him back to the, to the very beginning. You shall have no other gods before me. That first commandment. And, and, and expose the man to the fact that he's not getting even the beginning of the commandments right. And Jesus says to him, what? You lack one Thing. You lack one thing. As I was thinking about that, I was reminded of the Lord of the Rings. And in the very first um, book, The Fellowship of the Ring, there's this moment at the beginning when Bilbo, who, Bilbo who had discovered the ring, he had gotten the ring, you know, this ring that throughout the mo- books and movies, you know, this, it's going to destroy and throw into the fire so that um, evil will be vanquished, all that wonderful stuff. But Bilbo has gotten this ring. He stole it. Stole it. He, he got it from Gollum. Okay? And so now he has this ring, and Gandalf is there with him, and Gandalf is trying to convince him, you've got to let this ring go. This ring that you have, Bilbo, it's, it's killing you. And Bilbo says, it's mine. I own it. I found it. It came to me. It's mine, I tell you. My precious. Yes, my precious. And then Gandalf immediately says, there's one other person. <laughs> there's one other who has called it his precious before, and that's, of course, Gollum. He's saying, Bilbo, you don't understand. It's got too much of a hold on you. Let it go, and then you can be free. I'm, trying, I'm not trying to rob you. I'm not trying to steal your ring from you. I'm trying to help you. I wish you would trust me. This ring, Bilbo's precious, was destroying him. And Gandalf was coming along his side and trying to expose to him and see, do you see this precious, this thing that you hold on so tightly? It is killing you. And Jesus does something very similar in this passage, right? He goes to this rich young man and he tries to expose his precious. He says, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. He exposes 
the man's precious, that thing that he held most dear. You see this rich young man, he was resting as we just saw a moment ago in his righteousness and his goodness and his being able to be good enough and he's also resting as we see now in his riches that somehow they can bring him comfort. And we see very quickly that this really is, Jesus has hit it on the nail, right? This really is his precious because we see the young man's response. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. His idol had been exposed. That thing that ruled his heart, that that thing that he loved more than he loved God had been exposed. His precious had been exposed. When the man walks away, we see that he would rather have his stuff, he'd rather have all of his wealth than to have Jesus. Really, he'd rather have all those things than to have the thing that he came to ask Jesus for, eternal life. His precious, the the, the idol of his heart, the the thing that consumed his heart was really showing as, as this man stands right there in front of Jesus. You know, he's right there in front of him. As he stands there, there's an incredible gulf between them. Though he might have been approximately very close to Jesus, there is a huge gulf between the two of them. And that huge gulf is this man's riches. This man's riches were like the Grand Canyon in between him and Jesus. How does his wealth stand in the way? Now, we, we need, one thing I want to say real quickly, we need to understand that this call of Jesus here in this passage, this isn't like a normative call for all Christians. In other words, all Christians aren't called to do what Jesus is calling this rich young man to do. Okay? Jesus is here acting as a physician, And he sees the brokenness in this man's heart, and he goes in with a scalpel to try to cut it out, okay? He sees exactly what he needs, okay? So it's it's not normative, but at the same time, let's be careful and not to think that riches is not a problem for, well, probably every single one of us in this room. That we too can, our riches, our stuff can become our precious and the thing that we hold on to. You see, for this young man, his riches were his security. They gave him security. He, he, he trusted in them, and he, he began to fool himself into thinking that in some way his earthly stuff, his earthly security was connected with his eternal security. Sometime you and I, we buy that lie too our earthly security. And by, by security, I mean by securing ourselves with the things that we need and the things to make us happy. There's no direct correlation between that and our eternal security. Don't miss it. Jesus is telling this guy everything that you've been looking for, the, the, the place you've been going to to look for your security, your security by building up your own goodness, your security by building up your wealth. It's a false sense of security. If you want real security, you must be clothed not in your righteousness, but in mine, Jesus would say. You must not be clothed in your riches, but my riches. And it's here that we need to understand Jesus is not calling this man to do something, to receive the kingdom. Okay? And it may seem like that. What he's he's wanting the guy to do is not to do something, but to come with empty hands. He's wanting him to not do something. 
This man has been living by doing stuff to find his security in God. And, and Jesus is saying to him, you've got to drop all that stuff. You've got to let those things go. I want you to come to me. But coming to me means that you can't stand on your own goodness. You can't stand on your own riches. Those things are going to come up empty every single time. You have to leave that stuff behind. You've got to leave those idols of your heart behind. He says, receive my righteousness. Receive my riches. Can you learn to find your security in me and not in the things of this world? And the man, he goes away very sad. He was right there with the one who could give eternal life. And he walks away sad. Don't think for a moment, as, even as we're gathered here this morning, and even as you may be a, a faithful person who gathers every single Sunday and, and is a part of the life of the church, don't think for a moment that you can come and you can be a part of this and that there could not be, like for that rich young man, a huge gulf in between you and Jesus. Is there anything, is, is there a gulf this morning that stands between you and him? What is your precious? What is that thing that if Jesus says, if I need you to hand it over, that you would go away sad? I know that's hard. <laughs> that's really hard. It's, I don't want to think about that. But I think that's the calling for us this morning to think through what is it? What is your precious? What is that thing that would be hard for you to hand over to him? And we must admit that probably one of those things for most, if not all of us, is our riches. Because we have so much, we have too little, we need more. And so often we're much more concerned with our earthly security than with our eternal security, aren't we? It consumes so much more of our time, so much more of our thought life. Jesus comes, and he talks to the disciples afterwards, and what does he say? He says, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus here, he gives an illustration, one that we probably heard many times before, this idea of a camel getting through the eye of a needle. And maybe you've heard some creative explanations for it, that there's some sort of gate um, in Jerusalem, this uh, eye of the needle gate, and the camel has to get down on his knees to crawl through, and there's no evidence for that that I was able to find anywhere. All the commentators say, you know, there's, it's not really there. We're not sure where it came along about 900 years after Jesus We need to understand the radical nature of what Jesus is saying and not try to find some way around it. You know, for them to hear this in their day, it was, it was radical, just as I think it may be pretty radical for us to hear too. You see, in their day, especially, the, the, one's riches were tied often to one's righteousness. Okay, so, so when the disciples, whenever they see this rich young man who's probably a ruler too, we, we see that in one of the other gospels, when they see this man come, he's a really good guy, and he's really wealthy, and because he has both of those things going for them, he's better off than anybody. And they tied these two things together. They, they had tied what we said earlier, one should not tie together one's earthly security and one's eternal security. 
but yet they had tied them together. And Jesus is wanting to disabuse them of that. No, it's, it's not the case. And, you know, so often as I've, well, really up until maybe even now, when I've read this verse or thought about it or the eye through the camel and the needle, I, I've just thought, well, Jesus, well, he's definitely being hyperbolic here. But I've just, oh, it's hyperbole. And Jesus is just saying it's really hard for a rich person to get in. And as I've studied it more, I really don't think that's what he's saying. I think Jesus is really saying what he's saying. He's saying it's impossible for a rich person to get into heaven. That's why the disciples, they're exceedingly astonished. They're taken back. If that's the case, then who can be saved? And just as you hear those words this morning, it may be like, well, (laughs) what am I supposed to, you know, I mean, if Jesus is really saying that, then who of us in here can be saved? I think we see even by the disciples' response, Jesus is making a very, very radical statement, okay? So much so that he's even going to go on to say whenever he responds to them with, he's going to even admit, yeah, with man, it is impossible. Jesus is going to say, with man, it is impossible. You see, we need to understand and we need to really get, we do not come to God with our riches. We do not come to him with our righteousness. We come to him with our poverty. You cannot enter the kingdom of God as a rich person. You must enter the kingdom as a poor person, as somebody who doesn't have, who has nothing to bring to the table. Do you understand that? Do you believe it? That we have nothing to bring? We come in our poverty, not in our riches. The gospel, the benefits of the the kingdom come to those who understand they don't have anything, that we don't have anything. It comes when we understand how desperate our need is for him. And our problem is sometimes we don't think we need him that much. Sometimes we think we're helping him out. And we turn the gospel upside down. You know, I, I was watching not too long ago a, a, a movie um, called In and of Itself. It's a, a film of um, a one-act play in, in, in New York, but it's not just a one-act play. It's also like an illusion act, and, and it's really fascinating. But anyway, and I'm not necessarily saying you should go out and watch it because I don't remember all the details of it and may have just recommended something bad. But anyway, um, continue on. <laughs> I don't think it's that bad, but anyway. Anyway. Um, As I was watching it, I I remember thinking for a few minutes and a few of the things that happen in it, I'm like, that's impossible. How did he do that? What just happened, it was impossible. But then I start thinking, well, of course it's not impossible. Of course it's possible, right? Of course there's some trick behind it, and so I start Googling, and then I start seeing everybody's suggestions on how it might have happened. I'm like, yeah, well, that's complicated, and yeah, we're like, Require a lot of people, but it's very possible, right? And, and suddenly for us, the, the, the impossible seems possible, right? Sometimes we look at Jesus' words and we flip them upside down almost in that same vein and we start looking at them and, and we, we, we start thinking, Jesus, he's just doing sleight of, well, not a sleight of hand, but sleight of words with us, right? And, and what he's saying is, well, it's not impossible, it's just really difficult. You see, it's not a magic act that he's doing, He's not making it look really difficult. It it really is. We need to understand how impossible it is. How impossible it is for any of us 
to save ourselves. By our own strength, our own goodness, our own riches, we have nothing to bring. And it's only then that we can truly, I think, understand the the incredible wonder of the gospel. Jesus says those words to them. How does he follow up? With man, it is impossible. But not with God. For all things are possible with God. This is Jesus as if he has one in this passage. This is the mic drop moment, okay? Um, you know, he's taking them through this journey of really wondering, even to the point of like, well, who can be saved? Is it even possible, Jesus? This, you, now that you've set it up, it's impossible for any of us to get in. And, and then Jesus takes them into the wonderful and the beautiful good news of the radical grace of the gospel The impossible is possible with him. That the impossible is possible with him. And you and I, we, we, we've got to stop living as though we can make the impossible possible. And that's how we kind of, okay, yeah, it's impossible, but now I've now I got you know, to go into this week and I've got to start making the impossible possible, Right? I gotta start coming with my goodness. I gotta start coming. I, I, I gotta start coming with my own riches. And even as I say that, I want us to be careful. We're, we're not saying, and I'm not saying this morning, that riches are not a major problem for us. They are a huge problem for us because they fool you and I into thinking that we have a better standing than we do. They fool us. We all need to take serious weight of that. And, you know, our, is our wealth, is it fooling you? Is it giving you a sense of security that you should not have? Does your security rest in your own goodness and your own riches as it did for the rich young man? Or does it rest in Jesus? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. Not not justified by, by your righteousness and your riches, but as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Do you know the truth of that this morning? Has it worked its way into your heart? Now, as the disciples hear this, It forces them to begin to think through other things, the other implications of this. Okay, so if it's possible with God, and if we do give up everything, what does that mean? We look at Peter's words, see, we've we've left everything and we've followed you. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. Don't miss that. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So much more that we could, so much we could talk about. But we have so little time. Kind of like Willy Wonka. Wasn't that like a thing in Willy, you know, so, uh, anyway, I don't remember exactly what he said, but should have prepped that one a little better. Um, uh, anyway. Jesus, he's not, let's understand what he's not doing. He's not, 
He's not promising health and wealth to his followers. That's not what he's doing here. This hundredfold, it's it's not all about the additional stuff that you're going to get. Okay, this isn't the prosperity gospel here. But he is telling them about a blessing that they're going to receive in this life. And do you see what it is? Can you read through it and see what it is? He's, what he's promising them, the blessing is a new family. A new family, brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what he's promising them. And don't miss, as I mentioned a moment ago, he does say that this will come, one of the blessings One of the blessings of being one of his and united with him, one of the blessings is persecution. We won't go deep into that now, but that is one of the blessings. Now, as we bring all this together, I I want us to see, I want you to know and understand that There's another rich young man in this story, right? The rich young man who had everything. Who had his throne in heaven. Who had all the riches. More riches than any of us could ever imagine. And that he came down from his throne. He emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And because that rich young ruler came, because he did what you and I, we we failed have failed to do, we've failed to be good. He's been good, and he was perfectly good every step of the way. We can have, because of what he did, we can have what that other rich young ruler, rich young man was was looking for. We can have eternal life. We can have the inheritance of eternal life, as Paul says in Ephesians, in him, what? We have obtained an inheritance in Christ. We receive an eternal inheritance. Now, as we hear that this morning, do you, like the rich young man, want eternal life? I think, I think that's part of (laughs) what drives us here in a sense. If we want to ask that question, then we have to learn. You and I, we need to learn to trust not in our own righteousness and not in our own riches and building up our own stuff. We spend so much time consumed with building up our security right here, right now. And Jesus tells the rich young man, you need to let that go. You need to give up that precious. We in here, we may have some preciouses that need to be given up. 
and turned over, they may be a huge gulf in between us and Jesus, much as there was a huge gulf between Jesus and that rich young man. But the incredible thing, and the thing that we cannot forget in the midst of all of this, because again, we can come to the place of saying, well, (laughs) then who can be saved? Be reminded of the incredible good news of the gospel. With man, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Do you believe it? Let's pray. Oh, Father, we come to you first this morning and we just confess that we so often look to the things of this world or even to our own performance at times as a means of of gaining security. Oh, I pray that you have, are working in our hearts to disabuse us of that notion. I pray that through your word this morning, you'll be at work in each of us, helping us to learn not to cling, uh, cling to the things that are earthly, no longer clinging to our own righteousness, our own riches, but that we would run to the cross and cling, cling to the one, to the one who said, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. We thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his good life. We thank you for him dying a death that he did not deserve to die. We thank you that he rose again from the dead, conquering sin and death for us so that we might find in him riches and righteousness beyond all measure. Oh, would you help us to look not to ourselves, but to look to our Savior, we pray. We pray this in his name.